0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts, stocks tracking, interactive charts, and market insights, all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squawk Box. Protesters are back on the streets of Hong Kong, despite a controversial bill that allows extraditions to mainland China being suspended. Meanwhile, stocks across Asia are trading mixed ahead of Wednesday's Fed decision as the highly anticipated
1: London Shanghai Stock Connect goes live. At the Paris Air Show, kicking off amid concerns over trade, security, and the safety of Boeing's 737 MAX planes, we're going to speak to a range of top executives, including Boeing CEO Dennis Muhlenberg. That's at 0910 CET. And Deutsche Bank reportedly preparing a major overhaul of its trading operations which includes plans for a bad bank to hold tens of billions of euros in assets. And we're coming to you live from the French Riviera as creative minds gather for the Cannes Lions Festival, the largest and most prestigious advertising gathering in the world. We'll be speaking to the CEO of Kantar and the chief brand officer for WWE among others. Very good morning to you. Happy Monday. I hope everybody on either side of Atlantic enjoyed uh, Father's Day. Yeah, getting the thumbs up from Jeff. I think another pair of socks never goes amiss, does it? Now look, here's the drill. And this is a very technical term. Ha, 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 ha. Okay, that's for all of you guys there looking at the data, desperate for bad data, desperate for the Fed, to cut rates, desperate to get that fuel, that octane, that Kool-Aid, that punch uh, into the market yet again from cheaper money as well. Because that's what a lot of you are doing. Whatever you say, the US economy is chucking out ambiguous data. You know that, I know that, Jeff knows that. But some of you out there are only looking at the bad data and refusing to look at the good data. When you do look at the good data, do you know what you say? You say, oh, it's backward looking. That's backward looking. That doesn't count. We need to look at the forward looking data. Well... Whatever happened to the data on Friday, it was good. We should be applauding good data, you know, by the way. We shouldn't be bemoaning it. Anyway, the retail sales figures, revised upward for April, up in May as well, were unambiguously good, unless you're in the market. Oh, you didn't like them, did you? You didn't like them because you wanted the Fed to cut rates. Well, we'll see if there's any clues about the Fed cutting rates next month or in October or whenever it is you've got your bets on for as well because you'll get your opportunity this week because it's all about the Fed this week. Tomorrow and then on Wednesday, we'll see what the Fed comes up with at 2.30 Eastern time on Wednesday. You'll be pouring over every word as well and the Fed will really be working hard on the communication from Jay Power because they will not want to repeat uh, of previous communication minutes Hats, which have sent the market tumbling light. There'll be a lot about monitoring, a lot about patience, a lot about trade I guess as well because that's already been flagged up of course uh, by the Federal Reserve. Right let's move on have a look at the chip makers. What wasn't great was of course Broadcom warning. Uh, well warning what? Because the broader environment is bad? or warning actually that their business has had the rug pulled out of it from under them because of the ban on selling goods to Huawei. Anyway I think it was the latter to be honest. If you want to disagree, you know where we are. Um, This is the market for the uh, broader sector. But there's Broadcom itself after its warning. Second quarter figures, bad, future looking bad. 5.6% lower uh, in session for that. Right, let's have a look at WTI and Brent as well. Uh, Brent trading 62.17, WTI 52.58. We are slowly getting our way Uh, towards various OPEC meetings. Will it be late June? Will it be early July? What would the response be? Can there be a response? Is the bang for the buck from uh, the likes of OPEC, the likes of Russia and the likes of Saudi, is it what it was? I mean, let's face it, we're still trading near or at the low of our recent trading range, despite the events uh, in the Middle East off Oman last week as well. So big concern about that situation, concern about the producers' ability to match the fact that demand is falling, or certainly the growth in demand is falling. That would be more accurate to say, wouldn't it? Let's have a look at the Asian markets. Huge amount going on politically as well. Uh, You've got to love the the numbers game. We had it with Trump. You know, I didn't see any protesters. I didn't see any protesters in London. And yet the organisers, said there were hundreds of thousands on the street. It's the same in Hong Kong, actually, as well, where the protest organisers, and I don't want to steal Jeff's thunder, are talking about millions of people taking to the streets, where, of course, uh, some authorities are saying, no, nah, no, nah, it was a couple hundred thousand as well. You make what you will about it. I'm not getting involved in that one. The Nikkei, up 0.14 of 1%. But safe to say, my old buddy, and I hope you did have a good Father's Day. Yeah, yeah, it was lovely. As you uh, say, the
0: socks were very
1: welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. can never have enough pairs, can you? Uh, w- Yes, you can, unfortunately. There you go. Um, but safe to say, yes. lots of ingredients for the coming week.
0: Yes, absolutely. How are you? Um, I'm very well, thank you very Good. much. Good. Uh, did you get anything nice?
1: Uh, you know I did.
0: <laughs> Should we confuse the audience by telling them what it was? Well,
1: it was a, a gilly kettle.
0: Wonderful, perfect, just what you need for those cold, lonely nights out on the (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: moors. It really is.
0: Uh, Let's move on, there. Let's pick up on that Hong Kong story, because I think it's interesting, these uh, two conflicting calls on how many people took to the streets. The protest organisers are saying almost two million people were on the streets of Hong Kong on Sunday after a controversial extradition bill was suspended, but not withdrawn. Chief Executive Carrie Lam has issued an apology amid growing calls... For her resignation. Let's get out to Sherry, who joins us from Hong Kong this morning. And Sherry, I believe you still have people out on the streets in Hong Kong in spite of this suspension.
2: That's right, Jeff. So it's pouring rain here in Hong Kong, at least in this area surrounding the Hong Kong Legislative Council. But that's not going to change the mind of the protesters. We're still looking at several hundreds of protesters now inside of the Legislative Council complex under this covered area. This is really the car uh, park, the drive-in drop-off area. But uh, they're basically staging yet another demonstration on this Monday morning following Sunday's massive uh, rally. Some are calling it the Black March because, uh, you know, really the color that they're going with, many of them dressed in the color black. So we're looking at people handing out raincoats, so water, uh, snack food so certainly it looks like the spirit is not dying down and they're not backing down it's even uh, even after the hong kong government decided to suspend the bill even after the hong kong government came out with this apology saying sorry to cause hong kong people a lot of heartache controversies and disappointment. Uh, The protesters' demands are not being met, so they're not calling the suspension of the bill comfortably a win. They want the bill to uh, be completely scrapped, and also they want Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam to step down. So I think at this point, the question is, will this legislation, this having caused so much controversies here in Hong Kong, will die a natural death? Or will the Hong Kong government find a way, find the right timing to bring it back after perhaps making some revisions because they cannot really let the logic that they've been talking about really die a natural death either? Guys?
0: Um, so I'm, I'm puzzled here about the future uh, for Carrie Lam, Sherry. Um, if you look back at the history of chief executives... Uh, we have seen in the past uh, chief executives leave their post early as a result of protests. As we look at the situation with Carrie Lam now, you, you hear people like Yuk Yuxing, who is very local in Hong Kong, very well connected with mainland China, and even he has expressed an opinion of disappointment about the direction that this story has gone on it almost feels as though some of those pro-china elements in hong kong have abandoned carrie Lam, and the mainland seems to be suggesting that they did not put her up to this so what future if she has lost the faith of the hong kong people and she's also been hung out to dry by some pro-china elements in hong kong does she resign
2: Well, that remains to be seen, uh, but it certainly goes to show that, as you pointed out, to some of the uh, pro-establishment or at least a pro-extradition bill, uh, heavyweights in the business community here in Hong Kong uh, seem to think that this cooling period was necessary and there was a bit of a mishandling by the Hong Kong government and Carrie Lam herself and uh, some of the you know opinion pieces are pointing out how the mainland chinese government decided to um, not you know kill this legislation so perhaps they chose this legislation and the life of it over her political career so We'll see how it goes, and even this apology that uh, the protesters got yesterday, the Hong Kong people got yesterday, some are saying that this is really not enough, because she didn't really put her name to the statement. It was actually via the spokesperson of the chief executive office. So is she doing enough to really uh, get, get her messages out on that humane and personal note is really another question as well.
0: Sherry, thank you so much for that. Uh, We'll get back to you a little bit later on for an update on these protests. Meanwhile, US Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross has poured cold water over a potential trade deal with China at this month's G20 summit in an interview with The Wall Street Journal. Ross said the likeliest outcome would be an agreement between both sides to continue talks, but warned it was, quote, impossible to judge when negotiations would resume. We will speak to Wilbur Ross today at 8.15 CET from the Paris Air Show. U.S. chipmakers are reportedly putting pressure on Washington to ease its ban on Huawei, according to Reuters executives from Intel. Qualcomm and Xilinx met Commerce Department officials to discuss the issue after the Chinese company was blacklisted. The report suggests suppliers are concerned with preventing harm
1: to American companies rather than helping Huawei. Quick question: Have you read anything yet that clarifies whether Huawei is about trade negotiations or about security, one way or the other, categorically?
0: Uh, I have read a lot about Huawei, As I and, have, and it I muddles got... the two issues together. <laughs> exactly. Effectively. But you
1: don't have—I cl- don't have clarification what the administration wants from the Huawei situation, whether it's about security and assurances or whether it is about trade.
0: Uh, no, because you get the impression that if there were a comprehensive trade deal, it would include some element of reassurance about Huawei. And yet the issue of security, it seems to me, and the issue of this sort of battle of systems sit aside the, the main question yeah. of whether there are tariffs on goods. OK, let's,
1: uh, let's move on. Uh, did, uh, India. India. Happy, Well done, India. 1.3 billion very happy people after yesterday. You know what I mean. Uh, India has imposed tariffs of up to 70%. It's not about this story. Up to 70% on 28 US goods. The levies came into effect on Sunday and target products such as apples, almonds, lentils and chemical products. India's finance ministry said the move was, quote, in the public interest. The measures come after Washington withdrew key trade privileges for India earlier this month. Opening calls for European markets... Uh, Randomly stuck in here, uh, up 22 points for the FTSE 100. Let's move on. Uh, Dollar crosses as well. Less random because we've got a guest waiting for you. And not just any old guest. Look at Sterling, by the way. 125.90, breaking the bottom of the range. Simon Derrick is Chief Currency Strategist at BNY Mellon. Good morning to you. How are you? I'm very well. Good. That was the easy question. Uh, Here's the harder question. Um, What is the Fed going to say that's going to rattle the markets potentially? Because j powell has got to get this right, hasn't
3: he? It has. But in fairness, I think that everything that's driving J Powell right now is actually what happens next week. So at it trade, it's about G20. It's about what happens between the US and China. That's going to be the key story. Oh, so, you've been anything? around
1: longer than I have. No, yeah. you haven't. About as long, actually. Yeah, we're about to say. let's be fair, right? <laughs> uh, I, well, there's only once I can remember <laughs> in my entire life when G20 really mattered, and that was 2009. And even that, Jeff and I debated for many years whether it actually happened. And I conceded to him that he was right, it's, and they did save the world. It's
3: about the fact that Trump and G won't meet. Uh, okay. Or probably and won't meet on that. They're not
1: going to come up with a trade policy like that, are And
3: they? therefore, on the back of that will be exactly the fact that China will start to move on with whatever it's going to do on currency and trade and all the rest of it. And that's going to be the key story. Because mm. that's ultimately, if you listen to what the Fed's actually said, it's not about the numbers. You, you were talking earlier about the mixed yeah, numbers that's yeah, there, right? Totally. So it's not about that. It's about looking forward. It's about whether there's going to be a drag on the global economy from trade. And that's going to be about that trade dispute.
0: Yeah. I mean, we don't, we don't see anything that looks like a positive reset, as it's described, uh, in the relationship between these two. I, I mean, I was intrigued by uh, the St. Petersburg comments from President Xi when he, on the stage with uh, President Putin, said, uh, Trump is my friend. And then I thought we might see some movement, at least verbally, towards an accord or an agreement. And yet we've heard nothing along those lines. And the Wilbur Ross remarks well, just okay. seem to add fuel to the fire to suggest, look, don't get carried away. This will not come at the G20. Uh, and I
3: think, but I, but I think that's the key part. I mean, move beyond the comments about who's who's friend, because frankly, that's all you ever hear from from the top of it, apparently you know, North Korea and, and the US are best of friends according to President Trump. So I put that to one side. I think that the key bit here is. The mood music you've heard out over the course of the last three or four weeks about how China felt about that trade negotiations. And there's been nothing to change that. Look at the way that Governor Yi from the People's Bank of China reacted after the meeting with, with Treasury Secretary Mnuchin. It was very brief. It was very cold. There's no sign whatsoever of any ministerial meetings taking place ahead of the G20 meeting or likely afterwards. That's the story. It's hardened. The lines are hardening there. And the question is, what does chi- we know what the U.S. does. It's yeah. what China
0: does. Well, let's, let's um, X out the trade story for a moment, and let's just focus on the U.S. economy, because it was yeah. something that Steve brought up at the wall. Um, if you look at the jobs growth, obviously the pace of jobs growth yeah. has slowed. We were doing in excess of 200,000 in the first five or six months of 2018. Here we are, that rate now has run down to about 160,000, yeah. 164,000. Is that in itself sufficient to nudge Jay Powell into taking action, either uh, at the July meeting or later, because he has this desire to keep the ball rolling on this US expansion?
3: Do I think he wants to get the US expansion going, yes. Um, Do I think
0: that those job numbers, if he wants
3: to use them as a reason for making the move, is sufficient? OK, look, uh, uh, those numbers, if you looked at them, you could argue maybe it's just a one-off. But in fairness, you were starting to break down to the kinds of levels you last saw really back in 2009. So there's a little bit of caution there. But as we said, there's other numbers that come out to the US that maybe look a little more positive. Just a quickie, retail Simon, sales numbers just
1: a quickie. Um, the dollar index was pretty much having its best week last week since February as yeah. well. That's inconvenient for a hell of a lot of people, not least the rest of the world trying to refinance in dollars. Does it represent a problem?
3: I think it probably represents more of a problem for the White House than anybody else.
1: Okay.
3: Because listen to to the wording that came out to the President last week when he was was talking about the problems he had with the Fed. It was all about the fact he was saying other central banks seem to get it, seem to be more than happy to work towards a weaker currency. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but that was the messaging from the White House very clearly. Currency wars was the story that was coming out.
0: Mm. Um, Something else to tell you about that relates to uh, China. The London Shanghai Stock Connect goes live today, six months after it was originally slated to begin. The scheme allows London-listed companies to sell shares in China and opens up LSE stock to Chinese investors. It follows the launch of the Shanghai-Hong Kong Stock Connect in 2014 and is the first time foreign investors will have direct access to Chinese A-shares outside of Greater China. Huatai Securities is the first company to list under the scheme. The brokerage raised $1.5 billion last week after pricing its global depository receipts near the bottom of the indicative range. And you can catch my interview tomorrow with Hua uh, uh, chairman, Joe Yi. Looking forward to doing that after the programme this morning. Today? That's the plan. Oh, Fingers crossed. Uh, about midday. Uh, well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I heard it was about midday. Uh, anyway, what else is going on? Well, we've got an air show taking place in Paris, haven't we? So let's tell you about that. We will be live from the air show with some of the largest names in the industry, including the CEOs of Raytheon, Boeing and Lockheed Martin. We'll also hear, of course, as we told you, from U.S. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross.
1: Wow, if you'd like to listen to this segment of the show again, and it is that good, tell, trust me, uh, you can uh, get a squab. Squawbox podcast yes you can head to cnbc.com uh, apple podcast spotify wherever you want to get it you'll find it somewhere um we'll be back after a short break
0: saudi arabia's crown prince has joined the us in accusing iran of carrying out attacks on two tankers in the strait of hormuz last week speaking to local media mohammed bin salman called on countries to take a quote decisive stand against Iranian aggression, but said he does not want war in the Middle East. Meanwhile, Saudi Energy Minister Khalid al has warned the attacks have hurt confidence in energy security. Iran has denied any involvement in the incident.
1: Elsewhere, the operators of both ships attacked in the Gulf of Oman say they will conduct a damage assessment. Reuters' data shows the tankers currently sit off the coast of Sharjah in the UAE. Japan's Kokuka, Courageous, will be examined once security checks are completed and operators will prepare a ship-to-ship transfer of its cargo. Norway's front Altair will also be checked before a decision is taken on how to unload its cargo. You've got to be careful how you read that one. Well, especially when it's beautifully written like that. Okay. Um, now, Um, Here's my point, and I don't have a lot to say here, but Simon, I'm I'm fascinated what you think here. The price of oil rallied at one point, I think, 4% on the day that we saw these uh, alleged attacks as well. Um, We have barely moved upwards or maintained those inclines. Do we have a huge global demand problem because, basically, regardless of trade, we are just slowing down?
3: That's the rate. That's exactly how I'd see it. I mean, look. You, we all know that the statistics around the strait being a choke point. We all understand the difficulties of, 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 of getting the oil out there by alternative means, pipelines. Um, we all understand that maybe we can talk a little bit about you know, the supply club, but reality is that this was about demand. This was about the lack of demand. The, if you can't make a rally that even takes you above the week's highs for the oil price, on the back of something as dramatic as that then it tells you there's something far deeper is in play. And it's got to be about slowing demand. And in fact, if you look over the course of the last month, month and a half, oil prices generally, they would seem to attract pretty closely to that trade story
1: and the worries about We had happening. a commentator from Standard Chartered last week, Paul Horsnell who made a very interesting um, premise based on some real evidence he's been looking at as well. He said that the oil price is now discounting the worst uh, ramifications of where we were at, at our lows in the GFC, in the great financial crisis. I'm not entirely sure we're there yet because, of course, we've seen much more violent moves to the downside. Yep. Would you, with any of that tally of where you're thinking?
3: Hey, but I don't know. I'd say that we, we, we're we factoring that in yet, but I think that's what the market is starting to think about. Yeah. I think it's starting to talk about a serious impact from the global trade story. I mean, you know, you, you can see that not just there, but you can see it in... in, in the way the bond market's move, the way that you've got the negative yield curve, all that tells you the same story.
1: Just a quick one for me. Do you, do you tally the oil prices uh, uh, as, and do you try and work out where it's going to be as a direct inversion of where the dollar is going to be? Do you work I to. With your, are you used to? I, to I used
3: anymore? to. Not anymore, because otherwise, you know, I wouldn't be calling the oil price anyway, given what the dollar's I actually done. No, I see it very much as being a concern about global growth, now, okay. which is a far broader story. And to me, actually, it's a negative China story. You want Uh, to sell
0: China, you sell oil. Oh, perfect. You've just brought me full circle back to where we kind of started the programme this morning. Mm. Um, The Hong Kong dollar has been pegged for a very long time. But there are people out there who feel that another attack on the peg is overdue. Mm. And the protests, in part, may be building some of the foundation for that view. What do you think? Um, I would never,
3: ever... uh, argue that the HKMA can't hold the line. We all know the story about how the the, the currency board works. Uh, For the moment, that's a market that's functioning exactly as it should do. We got to the edge of the bound, Hong Kong yields went above US yields, and lo and behold, the Hong Kong dollar went up. So there's nothing in there that would suggest anything kind of, that's, that's particularly stressful. What is noticeable, though, is the fact that you're still seeing implied volatility heading up, you're still seeing people out there buying that skew towards Hong Kong dollar puts. That's the thing that, that, that just rings an alarm bell. Things that would make me think far more that there was a problem would be if you start to see the forwards go outside the band, If you are being paid, if you got a higher yield than Hong Kong dollars yeah. and they were still selling them,
0: that would be a concern. Briefly, trade of the morning, trade of the week. What I think it?
3: I would I would focus on anything that's about China. The renminbi going through seven because I think it will go through there. So you can sell Korean won, sell Aussie dollar, maybe sell the Canadian dollar. And on really, dollar really briefly,
1: what about the pound, 125 handle going, going down? It is going lower, is it? Oh, yeah. Where to?
3: Well, I think over time you're going to see Euro-Sterling break come to 390, I think the low 120s for Sterling, because political outcomes either way for the UK are poor.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more
1: market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.